As you are aware, May is known as Mental Health, uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And so we wanted to dedicate a couple of weeks towards talking about this and how, you know, God, how, you know God's point of view, God's perspective on mental health. And uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, if, if you're paying attention to the song that we sang, it said, I've seen mental health restored. And we believe that God can restore your mental health. Amen. So if you have uh, watched any of our sermon series before, we had a four-week sermon series called Mind Monsters. We're going to kind of squeeze that into two weeks, and we're going to call it Out of the Cave. And I'm so excited about just the word that I get to share with you today. And uh, as I mentioned, Mel- May is known as Mental Health Awareness Month, and it is a time, it's an entire month, that we dedicate to wa- raising awareness and talking about the stigma surrounding behavioral health issues. I know it's 2023, but I believe that there's still a great stigma around depression and talking about it, right? And, and it's, it's to raise awareness of how it can affect us as individuals, how it can affect our families, and how it can affect or how it affects society and its, in, in its entirety, amen? And I believe that if the world can talk about it, then we as a church should be able to as well. Amen. Amen. Can I get another amen on that? Well, we all know what happened in March of 2020, uh, right? I think we all remember that. If you don't, I can refresh your memory, but I'd rather not. Um, But I believe that in one way or another, we experienced some type of depression. We experienced some type of fear, you know, the fear of the unknown. What's going to happen next? You know, what's going to shut down next? Am I going to have a job to go back to? You know, we all experienced some type of angst or, or, or just the fear of the unknown. As a matter of fact, the mental health hotline number went up 900% in 2020. That's the, it went up drastically. But the CDC, well, of course, I'm not going to go into that, but the CDC said that one out of four young people under the age of 30, listen to this, one out of four young people under the age of 30 considered suicide in 2020, and then one out of 10 for the rest of us who are over 30. I'm, I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you're over 30, which, I mean, that's, that's most of us, right? Let, let's be real. Divorce filings were up. They went increased by 20% in 2020. And the antidepressant medications that were prescribed went up by 300%. You know what? I believe that this is something that the church and that God needs to solve. Amen. I mean, the world tries to present us with solutions to these problems, but I believe that it is something for the church and something that God can do. Amen. Amen. So the name of this sermon series is called Out of the Cave, and over the course of the next two weeks, we're going to share some messages that we are really, really excited about. I'm, again, I'm just, I, was, I got to study this over the week, and I'm in, I'm just, I really felt God speaking to me about this one. And so the first thing that we're going to talk about today is how we get into that cave, into that cave of depression. And the next week, we're going to talk about how we get out of that cave. So I encourage you to come next week. Uh, um, And in doing so, we are going to be talking about the life of Elijah. And before we get into the Bible, before we get into any scripture, I just want to give, I just want to make two simple and very important observations to kind of give you some context to support where we are going with this 
topic. Now, there are some very real biological reasons for depression. And I'm not a doctor, um, but I know that, you know, you can just Google it and find that there are very real biological reasons for depression. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a cause of, of a pandemic or another 2020 to happen, but there are genetic and biological issues that can happen in our minds. And if we allow that biology to have the entire narrative, we will miss some of the real solutions that God has for us in our lives. So the first one is that depression, first of all, do you have your notes? If you need notes, raise your hand, our ushers can get those to you. The first one is that depression is not a malfunction of the mind, it's a signal, Let me say that again. Depression is not a malfunction of the mind. It is a signal. It is trying to tell us something. It's telling us that there are some things that that we could possibly address that will allow us to get out of that cave of depression. I know I mentioned it earlier, but as you all know, there is a stigma around the topic of depression, right? Um, If if it isn't obvious to you, I'm Hispanic. Yo, Yo, hablo. Right, yo, yo, hablo, um, and, but but I, and I, and I say this because if you were raised in, in in Hispanic culture or around Hispanic culture, you will know that, and I, this probably applies to all other cultures as well. But I'm just speaking on on behalf of what I have experienced. You will know that it, we are quick to dismiss the stigma of depression. You know, we have sayings such as, and some of those, some of you are here going to uh, relate to what I'm about to say, but we have sayings such as, echale ganas, which translates to, you know, just, just keep trying, J- just keep on trucking. You know, like, dad, I don't feel like doing anything. I just, I just, I'm just locked up in my room. I don't want to do anything. I don't really have any motivation to do anything. And dad, mom and dad are like, man, just echale ganas, mijo. Just, just keep on going. You can do this. You know, it, it, get out of that funk. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's so funny because we're so quick to dismiss, you know, the topic of, of, of depression and the stigma of that. But at the same time, if, if someone stares at your baby for too long, and I'm speaking about Hispanic culture, if someone stares at your baby for too long, you'll grab an egg and you'll rub it all over that baby's body <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> because we think that someone has stared at them for too long and, and they call, we call that or the evil eye, right? And so what that's supposed to do is, it's kind of silly, I know some of you are giggling, but what that's supposed to do is kind of remove that bad energy and that, you know, any negativity because someone stared at your baby for too long. And it's silly, I know, but I just wanted to use that to give you some contrast of just, you know, the the extremes that we go to. Amen? Now, some of you in this place wear contacts. Some of you wear glasses. I myself wear corrective lenses, right? And that just means that there's a part of my body, an organ on my body that does not function at 100% capacity, right? We don't have that 20-20 vision, so we need something to correct to help. My eyes don't function at top efficiency, and, and I hope that none of you think that because I wear glasses that I lack faith. I hope that none of you think that I'm a horrible person because I have to wear glasses or because I have to wear corrective lenses. It's just that I have a part of my body that's not working at peak 
efficiency. And, and I believe that the mind is also a part of the body and it can too be in that same condition. You know, you don't think less of me because I'm wearing glasses. Again, I hope not, please. Uh, but we shouldn't think less of people when they are struggling in their minds. And I believe that we as a church should be loving and we should be embracing. Amen. What I want to let you know today is that it doesn't have to become your identity. Number two, my illness is not my identity. Let me say that one more time. Your illness is not your identity. What I'm feeling in this moment is not who I am. What you are feeling is not who you are. It's just what I'm struggling with at this moment. And we all have struggles, amen? We all have struggles. And I believe, again, that we as the church should be the leaders at addressing these issues. Now, before I go on any further, before I continue, I just want to cut to the end. You ever seen a movie where they show you the end scene and then you have to watch the rest of it to figure out what happens? Well, before I cut to the end, let me, let me give you all of the beginning. And the first thing is that God wants you to be free. Amen. For those of you who are watching online, God wants you to be free and God does not enjoy seeing you struggle. No, he doesn't. And there are some of you in this house who may think, well, this is just the hand that I've been dealt. I've, been, I've, 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 I've thought that way before. You know, some of you are thinking, well, this is just my lot in life. We don't believe that here. We believe here that you can know God. We want you to know God first. We want you to find freedom Amen. We want you to discover the life that he has for you. Amen. And we want you to make a difference. But you know what? That does not, as, as Kendra said, that does not make you exempt from the struggles of this world. But even though you aren't exempt from the struggles of this world, he wants you to be free. Amen. So what does the Bible say? In Galatians 5.1, it says it is for freedom. Say that. It is for Amen. That Christ has set us free. And he who has the Son has that kind of freedom. And he, who's the, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Even some of the best of us struggle, and we can see that clearly in the Bible. That's the thing that I love about the Bible is the Bible isn't full of perfect people. As a matter of fact, it's only one perfect man that we see in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. You know, when you read the Bible, you don't see a book of, open up your Bibles to the book of perfections, chapter three, verse two, you know, and then it names off just a bunch of people who were perfect. No, it, it doesn't, there's no book of perfections in the Bible. You're not going to find that. As a matter of fact, you'll see that God uses some of the worst people, right? People who are adulterers, murderers, and yes, even depressed people, people who have suffered and with depression, and one of them that you see in the Bible is the prophet Jeremiah. In Spanish, we call him el profeta llorón, meaning the crying prophet. Who not only wrote the book of Jeremiah, obviously, but he also wrote another book that is dedicated to depression. And as a matter of fact, he named that book, which we read during uh, transitions, it's the book of Lamentations. He said, Jeremiah said, you know what, let me give you an entire book that talks about how sad I am, that talks about gloom and despair and agony. Lamentation, as it pertains to the Oxford Dictionary, means uh, it, it's described as a passionate expression of grief 
or sorrow, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And let's take a look at what the prophet Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, 17 through 20. It says, he says, I have been deprived of peace. How many of you have ever felt that way before? Like, oh, where is the peace? Where is your peace, O Lord? I no longer feel it. I am deprived of it. And he says, I have forgotten what prosperity is. Nothing in my life is working anymore. Everything that I'm doing is wrong. I can't do anything right. My marriage, my work, my kids, my life is in shambles. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone. And all that I had hoped from the Lord, Lord, I've prayed to you. I've needed your help, but you're not answering my prayers. How many of you have ever felt that before? I remember my affliction and my wandering and the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. Imagine just sitting there in your room thinking about your afflictions and your wandering and the bitterness. That's not going to do anything good for you, right? And he says, and my soul is downcast within me. And if, I'm sure if some of you did the same, you sat in your room and you thought about all the afflictions, all the pain, everything that you were going through, I'm sure your soul would be downcast as well. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul, who wrote about two thirds of the New Testament said this in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he said, we do not want you to be uninformed, meaning that we don't want you to misunderstand this, what I'm about to tell you, my brothers and my sisters, about the troubles we experienced. So he obviously experienced troubles in the province of Asia. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. It was too much for us to handle. How many of you have ever been in a situation like that before where it's just, the pressure is too much, right? The, the, the weight of the world starts to bear down on you and you feel like you can no longer go on any further. And then the Apostle Paul later, he closes out that verse by saying, so that we despaired of life itself. He, they, they were just, Lord, please take, put us out of our misery. Put us out of our misery. And there, there may be some in here who have, have prayed that same prayer of, Lord, if it be your will, take me now. Take me now. So today, we're just going to take some time to build on the story of the great prophet Elijah. And if you know or if you don't know about the prophet Elijah, he is probably one of the greatest of all the prophets in the Bible. As a matter of fact, he had the honor of being at the transfiguration of Jesus. And if you don't know that story, it's Jesus takes his disciples up to the mountainside. And scripture says that Moses and Elijah appeared in their heavenly forms. So meaning that heaven elevated him to a place of glory and that he got to stand next to Jesus and Moses. But we also look into the life of Elijah and we see that he was someone who would struggle greatly with depression. And, and one thing you'll notice about the story of Elijah is that his depression comes after some pretty incredible victories, some pretty amazing things that he had done for God. The first one we see in 1 Kings chapter 18 is that he defeats the prophets of Baal and Asherah. 850 pagan prophets against one man of God, or one MOG as I like to call him. <laughs> MOG, you can go ahead and add that to your memory bank. But we see that, that he defeated these 
prophets, you know, with God on his side, we see that he brought a sacrifice before the Lord. And as a matter of fact, just to, just to prove a, a big flex on his enemies, uh, he completely soaks that sacrifice and he completely um, soaks that altar in water. And we see that God sends a fire down from heaven that not only consumes the sacrifice, but also consumes the water itself, leaving the altar completely dry. And then if you read the story, all the prophets died by the sword. And that was one great, amazing, incredible thing that the prophet Elijah did. And the next thing he did was that he prayed for rain to come after a three-year drought. And we see that God sends a great rain. Isn't that amazing? You would think that after these great victories that, uh, that Elijah would be out celebrating, that he would be dancing in the streets uh, as celebrating all that God had done. But, but here's what happens next. And we can see that in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4. And it says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say. So Elijah became afraid of a message, of a threat. No one was actually coming to kill him. They were just coming to relay a message to him. And I kind of relate this to modern day uh, nasty grams or Instagram comments or Facebook comments, right? Sometimes, you know, those people kind of just leave something, you know, if it's, if it was modern day times, Elijah pulls out his phone. He's like, oh no, someone said they, they absolutely hate what I said or what I did. And now I'm going to fear for my life and I'm going to run away. But this messenger says to Elijah, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like that of one of them. And then we see that Elijah was afraid and that he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, and as a matter of fact, the cool thing about Beersheba was it was the place where he made an oath to serve the Lord with his whole heart. But we see that he goes back to that place and he says, he tells God, you know what, God, I, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. I, I, I think I'm done. I think this is the end of the road for me. So it says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, say he left his servant there, which was probably one of the biggest mistakes he could have ever done, right? He, he decided to go off on his own, leaving his servant behind. And it says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life and I am no better than my ancestors. Why would he say I am no better than my ancestors? Well, we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But when you look at this story, you will see six things that got Elijah into that cave of depression. And when we use, when we use the word cave of depression, we feel like a cave describes uh, a depression accurately. You know, you know that there's a way out of it, but you just don't know how to get out of it. Right, you, you can become disoriented in a cave because it's dark, because it's lonely. You know, it, 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 it's quiet. You hear things. You don't, where, don't know where the noise is coming from. You, you feel things, but you don't know what it, exactly it is you're feeling because it's so dark inside of a cave. So again, today we're going to share with you six ways that got you into that cave. And, and again, next week we're going to give you five ways to get out of that cave. 
So number one, how do we end up in the cave? The first one is life imbalances. Now, I completely understand that there are such things as chemical imbalances, but, but research has shown more and more that it's actually imbalances in our life or in our lifestyle that is the main factor that causes depression. Elijah's depression came after his two greatest spiritual victories. And, and let me ask you something. Have you ever noticed that you are more under attack of the enemy and have your worst thoughts after your greatest victory? right? Uh, Allow me to paint a picture of life's imbalances for you in a practical way. I'm a pretty practical person. I like practical applications. And so I think some of you are going to be able to appreciate this. Um, we were, we went on a ski trip a few years back, my wife and I, and, and my brother-in-law and, and his wife, we went to uh, Salt Lake, uh, I'm sorry, Park City, Utah. It was a beautiful experience. We had never been skiing before. Uh, and if you know my wife, she's like super athletic. She was a collegiate cheerleader at one time. My brother-in-law, he is very athletic. He can pretty much do anything he wants to and be the best at it. And my sister-in-law, she, you know, grew up playing softball, so she was very athletic as well. And well, your boy, I'm a, I'm a former junior Bible quizzer, and that's about the uh, that's about the extent of my uh, of my athletic career. Amen. Praise God. But we skied for about three days. Um, <laughs> we skied for about three days, um, literally from the time those lifts opened to the time they closed them. And, uh, it was very fatiguing on the body. I, my body was fatigued and I was so tired, uh, you know, constantly being in that leaning position, pizza, French fry, pizza, French fry. Uh, but man, we had, we had such a blast. And, and on the final day of us skiing, you know, we had this bright idea. They're about to shut all the lifts down. They said, Hey, you got one more chance. So they, we took the ski lifts all the way to the top of that slope, to the top of the slopes, and uh, we eventually made our way down to the bottom. And the last run, there was a nice little incline, and so we picked up some speed, right? There was a straightaway that we came to, and I was locked in. I was like, all right, last one of the day, and then I felt my right leg start to do this, right? It started to wobble, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Fortunately, nothing happened to me. I didn't tear anything. I didn't break anything. But, but I, I became just so worried. And, and I did a little bit of research and, um, and found that 30 people a year die on the Colorado ski slopes. I think that's why we chose not to go there. But it says, yes, about 30 people a year die on the Colorado ski slopes. And almost every one of them dies from hitting a tree. Yeah. Also, to add to that, 90% of all injuries, check this out, 90% of all injuries happen in the last hour of the day. 90% of all injuries happen in the last hour of the day. And I can relate to this because we were the last few minutes of the day and my leg did something crazy. Um, thank God he, he kept me and protected me. But you see, there are two things that happen in the last hour of the day is that one, you are very tired. One, you are very tired. And two, you can be a little overconfident, right? I can do this. Let's get through this. I can make it to the bottom. You know, sometimes as human beings, we can get an arrogance about us and and the way we live. And we can start to say things like, I've got this. I can do this. But let me tell you something. Not everything that is doable is sustainable, right? Not everything that is doable is sustainable. And sometimes we can create a pace 
that we can't continue and, 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 it's, and in life it starts to catch up to us, amen? There's a writer by the name of Stephen Lardy, and he wrote a book called The Depression Cure. And in it, he states that we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, man, he's talking to me right now, (laughs) frenzied pace of modern life, right? And all of us have some of this in our lives. Some of us, you know, can relate to this in one way or another. So what do we do about it? Well, Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says that it is better one, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You see, we have this philosophy that if one is good, then two is better, Right. That if $1 is good, then, then $2 is better. And if one donut is good, then two is better. And if one slice of pizza is good, then two is great. But I'm, I'm going to stop right there before I make myself any, any uh, you know, hungry. But the word says that we can have one handful with tranquility or you can have two with toil and chasing after the wind. And this is what happened to Elijah and it can happen to us too. I believe that. Number two, we fall into the trap of comparison. We end up comparing ourselves with others. Now, you can probably remember when I read 1 Kings and Elijah said, I am no better than my ancestors, right? And and, and why was he even comparing himself to his ancestors? Well, why do you compare yourself to others? Simple as that. You know, research points out that one of the reasons why a lot of us are depressed is because we are looking at what everyone else is doing and we are comparing ourselves to them. You know, the enemy likes to use certain things. You know, he likes to infiltrate our minds and, 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 and uh, social media, right? Yeah. Or what we like to call anti-social media. You know, sometimes we just need to take a break from that stuff. Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is a thief of joy. You know, the more you wonder what they have, you know, the more you wonder what they're doing, the more it robs you of the joy that God has for you. Amen. Amen. So what does Galatians 6, 4 through 5 tells us? It tells us that each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. And this is a godly pride. This isn't a selfish pride. Without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. You see, Elijah was never going to stand before God for his ancestors' doing. No. As a matter of fact, he was going to stand before God to his own calling. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, I think about these content creators, the people who, who develop all these apps that, that, we're, that we spend hours and hours on every day. You know, we see that's, that in, in many cases that they apologize for ever creating those. And as a matter of fact, they won't even allow their own children to download these apps on their own phones. Well, and why is that? Well, because they realize that it's too much for our minds. And, and they see that the way that it is reshaping our minds for the worst. Let me tell you something today, friends. You don't need to know everything. I know, I know it's, it's so easily accessible, and sometimes we just have this incessant need to want to know things. You don't need to know everything. We use this term called selective ignorance. Selective ignorance. You can add that one, too. 
It's kind of like selective hearing, but it's a little better. Now, I believe that we need to be very intentional about what we know, and I'm sure you could agree with me on that, but we also need to be just as intentional about what we never need to know. You know, I, I don't need to go to know everything that's going on all the time. What, what I'm trying to say here is not to allow yourself to be consumed by the information that is so easily accessible to us. And, and I said information and not knowledge because the two are very distinct, different things, right? So number three, ruminating and self-talk. Ruminating and self-talk. If you continue to read the story of Elijah, you'll see that he tells God, look, God, I've been working so hard for you, and and I'm your greatest prophet. I am your servant. But you know what? I I don't think that you're really noticing me. I I don't feel like uh, like you see me, God. And he tells him, Lord, I've killed all of these wicked people for you, and I'm the only good person left. And as a matter of fact, that wasn't true. And you know what? I don't think he knew that that was true either. He had talked and he had tricked himself into believing a lie. He said things like, I'm the only prophet that's left. And he was, what we do, he was doing what we call ruminating. Ruminating is, is when you take your distress and you start to think about it. You know, usually it's when you're isolated or, or, or you're, you know, somewhere where you just, your mind starts to wander and you take that distress, you start to think about it and you start to process it usually in an unhealthy way and, and it doesn't get any better. As a matter of fact, it just gets worse. You know, the, the word ruminating is, is what a cow does, right? That's why they call them ruminating animals. I'm not much of a farm guy, but I know this much. That, you know, when, you, when a cow ruminates, it, it chews the cud, right? And a cud, if you don't know what a cud is, a cud is where you eat grass. You, you chew it, you swallow it, you throw it back up in your mouth, regurgitate it. That's disgusting, right? And, and then after that, you chew it some more, <laughs> and then you swallow it, and then you throw it back up in your mouth, and, and then you chew it again, and then you repeat that process, Right, And how many of y'all know or can agree with me that every time it comes back up, it doesn't get any better, right? And, and, and you see, and, and neither do your thoughts. Neither do your thoughts, especially when you try to process them all by yourself. You know, the devil loves self-talk. He loves it when you have an internal struggle going on. It's his favorite environment because the battle is in the mind and the devil knows that that's the only thing he has access to. He, can only, he only has the power to try to influence our minds. He doesn't have power over us, but he tries to influence our minds and our thoughts. Second Corinthians, as a matter of fact, tells us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Brian Tracy says that, he's a writer, says that 90% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. And you see, the Bible is so strong about this topic, and it says in Philippians 4, finally, brothers, and this is a scripture that you may all know very well, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is Admirable, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. Control your mind 
control your life. Romans 8 tells us that a mind that is controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Don't you want that kind of life? And it says the mind controlled by the flesh is death. And for a lot of us, that has, that's what has put us in that cave. Number four, the inability to process pain in a healthy way. There are bad days that happen to a lot of us, right? I can, I can promise you we've all had a bad day. And a lot of people, you see, a lot of people have a wrong expectation of this earth and we have a wrong expectation of God. You know, we sometimes feel like that we are owed something, right? Or that happiness is promised. But, but God's plan is a rescue mission. It is a plan to get us out of earth and into heaven, Right, He does intervene in our lives here on earth, and I'm so thankful that he does. Glory to God for that, amen. amen. Glory to God for the times that I have seen his hand over my life and in my life, in my family, and in, in my friends' lives, in my peers' lives. I'm so thankful for the hand of God moving in everyone's lives here on earth. But he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Pastor Kinder preached it already. He, she said, you will have tribulation. And, and I don't think that that's anyone's scripture of the year. Like, man, this is going up on my fridge. I'm going to experience tribulation this year. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. And you're probably like, man, pastor, can't you just be a little more positive today? I'm like, well, I'm positive that you're going to have tribulation. Right? No one has that tattooed on their arm or across their chest that, you know, God's going to give. This is, this is my life scripture. God's going to give me tribulation. Yeah. Right? But, but then he says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Amen. You know, we all experience pain and some more than others. And, and we do experience it in a variety of different ways. But my question to you today is, what do you do when that happens? What do you do? When you come across that pain or when you come to a place of, place of pain, you know, sometimes we can turn to unhealthy habits, whether that be drugs or alcohol or TV binging. Oh, I'm just watching my favorite show. Overeating or at times we just don't talk about it, right? Because we think that if we avoid it and if we don't mention it, then it just doesn't exist in our lives, right? And we try to use those things as an escape but as a matter of fact, in March of 2020, we see that only one month in the, into the pandemic, drug addiction went up by 18%. That was in the first month. In, in, in the month of April, it went up 29%. And we see that in May, it has shot up to 42%. We were getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I believe today that we are still ministering to the effects of what happened then. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. There was a Jewish psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl, and, and, and he had a clinic in Austria, and he would treat Holocaust survivors, um, and, and they all experienced severe trauma. You know, every single one of them in this book, it says that every single one of them was suicidal. Uh, and, 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 his, and in this book, it talks about how he had a different theory than, than Freud. Freud believed the goal in life was pleasure, as nice as that sounds. Man, that sounds nice, right? Just all these nice things. Um, but Frankel said that the goal in life is meaning, is purpose, 
And, and I agree with that. Wouldn't you agree? If you don't have a purpose in your life and if you don't have any meaning in your life, you will dull your life with pleasures only to find out that they don't bring you pleasure anymore. That's why we here believe that the greatest solution to bringing meaning to your life is living the life that God has for you, amen? And knowing that your life is making a difference not only in your world, not only in the world around you, but also in the entire world, amen? You see, Frankel created a therapy that is known as logo therapy, and it consists of three things. And the first one is that he would help someone find meaningful work. That's why we encourage you to serve. That's why we encourage you to be a part of the Life family. We have an event. As a matter of fact, next Sunday, we call it Discover Life. And it's just a way for you to get together with us, to gather with the leaders, to help us to help, us help you identify and discover the things that God has placed in you because he has, we are his handiwork, right? We are his workmanship. He has created us for works that he wants us to do for a purpose. Amen. We have childcare that we provide for you. We have a meal that we provide for you. So I just want to invite you, if that is something that you feel like God is leading you towards, come to Discover Life next week right after our service. Number two, he would help them discover meaningful work. And not just meaningful work, but meaningful work with a community of friends. We need to be in community with each other. Amen, church. And number three, he would help them find reason and purpose for their suffering. To use it in a way to let your suffering help somebody else. 2 Corinthians 1, 4 through 6 says that God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and for your salvation. Now, let me take just a few seconds to tell you that God's grace is greater than your weakness. God's grace is greater than your pain. God's grace is greater than your miss-ups. I just want to let you know today that there is purpose in your pain. You know, your life experience does not disqualify you from anything. As a matter of fact, the pain of your life experiences qualifies you to help someone who is going through the exact same thing. Amen? Amen. At this point, I'd like to invite the musicians to come up. Number five, isolation and loneliness. We are the loneliest society in human history. We have more connections digitally, and yet we have recorded the, the highest number of, of, of human beings who are lonely. And it's so easy for us to make connections, right, through social media outlets and, and just a, a variety of ways, but yet we are still so lonely. You see, the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. It was solitude. You know, the first thing that went wrong in the Bible wasn't the devil in chapter 3. We actually find it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. He says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. And I don't want to step on anyone's toes today. I don't want to call anyone out. And, and, but if you are not able to join us for in-person services due to health reasons, 
You know, we all have circumstances and situations of why we can't be here for in-person services. And if, that, and if it's for health reasons, then, then please stay home. Take care of yourself. You know, your health comes first. But, but if you are staying home because that has become your new normal, right? It's a new normal. You know, it, it, because it's what you're used to, I, I encourage you to join us. There's, there's nothing like, I, I, let me say this, there's nothing like worshiping alongside your brothers and sisters. There's nothing like gathering together in the house of the Lord to give him praise. There's nothing like getting a hug, a hug from a friend that you haven't seen in a while or shaking a hand or just seeing a smile in person. There is nothing like it. There is no substitute for that. It is not good for us to be separated from the body. Romans 12, 5 tells us that since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. We read that Elijah left his servant there in Beersheba, and that was the worst mistake he could have ever made. He said, let me go figure this out all by myself. He said, I got to take care of me. And that's just not the truth. It's not about me. It's about we. Amen. And you know what? I just want to thank you so much for being at church today. I know when I get up here and I say it's an honor to have you with us, I really do mean it. I love seeing every single one of you here on a Sunday morning. You know, I commend you for saying, you know what? I need to be in a community of believers. I need to worship and pray alongside my brothers and sisters. The last one, spiritual warfare. And at this moment, I'd like to invite the prayer team up to the front. You see, the thing about spiritual warfare is it's such, it's an easy one to miss, especially if, if you're like me and, and you're more of a, a logical thinker, you know, any of my logical thinkers in the house. And it's so easy to miss out on a spiritual warfare, but, but you were made in the image of God and you have the spirit of God inside of you, right? Ecclesiastes 3 says that he has set eternity in the hearts of man. You are not a human being who has temporary spiritual experiences, but you are a spiritual being having a temporary human experience. Your, your spirit can directly impact other parts of your life. And that's why you need to understand spiritual warfare. It, it's happening whether you see it or not, whether you believe in the devil or not. He is real. He exists. I want you to stand with me, please, in this moment. And I want you to just imagine with me for a minute. Just imagine. Somebody has a key to your house and you don't know it. And, and that person is a very bad person. And tonight is the night. It's going to happen. They're coming in after you fall asleep and they're going to take your family. They're going to take your belongings. And as a matter of fact, everything that is precious to you will be gone by the time you wake up. What would you, let me ask you this question. What would you be willing to do tonight to keep that from happening? What would you be willing to do? I'm sure you'd be willing to not go to sleep, right? I'm sure some of you might even introduce them to your friends, Smith and Wesson, right? Amen. Brother Glock in the house. You know what? The Bible says that some of y'all are asleep. 
The Bible says you're just asleep and it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. You have an enemy and he is called the devil. First Peter 5, 8 through 9 says to be self-controlled. Peter tells us to be alert. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, a lion just doesn't walk up to a gazelle with a knife and a fork and a knife and fork in hand and say, here, here I am, it's time for dinner. I lay down, it's 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 go time, right? As no, a, a lion will lie in cover. As a matter of fact, he's the same color as the grass that he lies in, so you may not even know he's there. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Be actively aware of the spiritual warfare, warfare going on in your life. Well, how exactly do we resist him? <laughs> Ephesians six eleven tells us to put on the full armor of God. Yes, yes, Amen. Yes. Put on the full armor of God. As a matter of fact, this morning when I stepped on the scale, I was like, Lord, the armor of God sure is heavy. <laughs> Man. But put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I want to remind you today that God has given you the authority. You just have to use it. Amen. God has given you everything you need. He has given you access to it through his Holy Spirit. And God has allowed you to go through some things. So you can be honest about them. You can be real about them. Be vulnerable. I know for some of you, it's so hard. For me, it's so hard to be vulnerable. My wife's like, yes. <laughs> I know it's so, e it's, so, it's so easy for us to want to just close off and, and not be vulnerable with people. But, but we need real people in this church. We need real relationships Amen. You may be afraid of what might happen or what it might do to your reputation, but, but allow God to use it to help someone else. Don't let the fear of, of, of what's going to happen after I share this information, you know, uh, um, keep you from sharing with someone. You may make a difference in someone's life. God has a life of abundance for you. That's a life of unspeakable joy. And I believe that he wants us out of that cave. Amen. So if you can, just close your eyes where you are. I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for every person here today in this place, God. Lord, if they are in a place, Lord, if they are in a cave of depression or in a place, a cave of angst or a cave of fear, Lord, I pray, God, that today that they would recognize and that they would realize what got them there, Lord. And not only that, Lord, but that you would provide a solution to them, Lord, that you would provide them with courage and strength, Lord, with perseverance, Lord, that they would be in pursuit of you, Jesus, that they would seek you, Jesus, that they would seek your kingdom first, Lord, and that you would give them everything else that they need, Lord. God, I pray just a, a special blessing over those who are in that cave today, Lord, and a special blessing over those who may have just realized today that they are in a cave. God, I pray over them right now, Jesus, that, that you would just be with them, Lord. God, that the stigma, Lord, will be broken down. God, that they can find an avenue, Lord, to share with others, God, and that they would find healing, Lord, through their sharing with others, Lord. We know that, God, everything that was made for evil, Lord, you would turn it for good, Jesus, and you would 
turn it, Lord, for our good, for our benefit, and to bring you glory, God. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.